If you're a guest with us, just know we've been walking through the book of Romans now for uh, since September, and we'll continue to, and probably until 2027. And so, you know, we find ourselves today in Romans chapter nine, and it is a, I can honestly say it's the most difficult passage I've ever preached. I, I can honestly say that. I can also say it has been one of the best passages uh, for me to hear this week. And, and so I, I believe that, you know, today that God is going to use this text to challenge you and then to cultivate in you a greater love for him. And so I want to begin reading actually where we were last week. And so we're going to read from verse 14 through 23. We don't have as much time today. So we're actually going to take next week as well on these verses. So just be uh, prepared for that. All right. Verse 14, let's read. This is the word of God. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. Listen to verse 18. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills. Now, with that being said, Paul asked a question that leads into our text today. He says, well, you will say to me then, or in hearing that, you might respond with this question, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory? For vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. That is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see your word today and you would give us ears to hear it. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So what I want to do is this. This is a very difficult place. All right, and so if you're just picking passages to preach from, you probably don't pick this one. But we're not just picking. That's why we go through books of the Bible. So we preach the whole of the Bible, not just what we want to. This is definitely one of those places for me. So what I wanna do is walk you through, not just how I've studied this text this week and last week and the week before. I've had three weeks that I've actually been preparing for this, but I wanna walk you through really how I've studied it for 12 years. And that's what you have in your worship guide. And so if you will, open it up 
and follow along with me. There are a couple points that are gonna be different today and just be aware, just use it as a guide. The first thing I want us to do is this. Number one, to recognize Paul's primary concern in writing chapters, not just nine, but nine through 11. So first I want us to recognize Paul's primary concern in writing chapters nine through 11. And in saying that, I am saying to you in God giving us these verses, the primary concern that God has in providing for us these chapters. Now there's other things that are spoken in these texts. There are many things we can learn and glean from Romans nine through 11. There's a whole lot of challenge built in there, but he is at least communicating this. And it's what you need to hear. It's that God is trustworthy and God is right. That God is faithful and God is good. Okay? So no matter where you are, no matter what you think, no matter what your knee-jerk reaction is to hearing these, these words, chapters 9 through 11 are given to us so that at the end of them, we may say, God is faithful, God is trustworthy, God is right, and God is good. God is good. See, chapter eight of Romans was one of the most encouraging scriptures in the entire Bible. We have truth given to Christians like this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's no more judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. We're told that in Christ Jesus, we're not just justified, but we're brought in, we're adopted into the family of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus has, we have as God's people. We're told in Romans 8 that what? For those who are in Christ or those who love God, all things will work together for what? For the good, for those who are called according to his purposes. That's a big promise. There's also this promise that for those who are justified, those who are made right with God in Christ Jesus, that they will be glorified, that they'll be made complete on the day of Christ Jesus. So what God starts in your life, God will finish in your life. We're told in Romans 8 that God is for you. He's not against you. How can we know that? Because he gave up his own son. And then lastly, there in chapter 8 is this, is that we're told that in Christ, there's no more separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Those are tremendous promises that are given. And so what we see in God's word is this, why, why do we go from that to this, uh, you know, to these incredibly deep waters of chapters nine through 11? Well, I believe the primary reason for that is for the question that might come up. And it's what Paul brings up and it's this, is these are great promises, Paul. Like these are incredible promises, but how can we be sure that God will be true to them? And you might say, well, well, his word says so. Well, the people are saying, but Paul, I have eyes and I have ears. I've seen, I've heard. I know what has gone on with the Israelites. I know what's happened with those people who God called to himself and made covenant promises with. They're not walking with him in the vast majority. In general, they're rebelling against him. They're turning away from Christ Jesus. So has God failed on his promises and started over? Paul says, absolutely not. 
Absolutely not, by no means. What God promises, God does. The promise that God gave to Abraham, oh, it hasn't failed. He's fulfilled it beautifully in his son. Not necessarily in the ways that you would have fulfilled it, but in the way he did. Romans 9 through 11 end with a doxology. And I just wanna give it to you right now. This is how the scripture that we're gonna eventually get to, this is how it ends. Romans 11 verse 33, where Paul, after talking about all of this difficult Uh, all of these deep truths. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. What we're talking about today and what we're gonna be talking about over these next few weeks is good news to us. It doesn't mean it's news that you will understand completely. Paul didn't and neither will you. These are very difficult texts that God gives to assure us that he's faithful and he's right, that he's trustworthy and he's good, that he's good. So recognize Paul's primary concern is to proclaim to us that God will keep his promise to those in Christ and God will never lie, all right? Number two, understand that theological tension exists in the Bible and particularly here in Romans 9. Everybody in the room, understand that there are in the scriptures theological tensions, okay? I'm just gonna give you two today. And we see them here in Romans 9, and we're, and we're going to uh, deal with them today and next week. The first is this, and you can see A there in your worship God, is, is that we deal with the tension with the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of mankind. That God is sovereign. He gives mercy to those whom he will, and he hardens those whom he will. That's what we just read. That God is sovereign over the world and we see God is sovereign over salvation. And yet, as we see that, there's also the joint truth to that and is this, is that mankind is responsible for what we do. We're, we're responsible for our actions. I'm gonna give you uh, a, a verse that was read earlier from Pastor Keith, John 6. And I believe you see both of these truths in this, John six thirty seven through 40. <clears throat> if we can get it pulled up on the screen, that'd be awesome. It says this, all that the father gives me will come to me. And so you see God's sovereignty there in that, all that the father gives me will come. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So there's the truth that the father gives and also people come. Look at the next part. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Go to the next part. It says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. So once again, we see the the father giving, and then look at the next part. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so we see this tension 
between God saving people, God being sovereign over salvation, and also that of us following Jesus, believing on him, coming to him, looking to him and receiving salvation. Those are both equally true that we see in the scriptures, okay? Doesn't matter how difficult they are, it is true according to the Bible. Mixed within that, we have a second tension and it's one that you may or may not have ever even said out loud and I'm gonna say it today. It's this. Not only do we see the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, but within that, we have the freedom of God to do as he pleases as sovereign ruler of his creation. So not only is there this tension, you talk about feeling small, like you start feeling pretty little when you see God's sovereign and man's responsible. You start feeling pretty small. You feel way smaller when you see that God is free to do as he pleases as the sovereign ruler of his creation. And I know what some of you are saying. Some of you are saying, but, but Colby, God could never lie. God could never do this. God could, I, trust me, I understand. I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying within his character, okay? And you don't always, what his character and what he does, you don't always, you wouldn't have done it that way, okay? So just understand this. We have to understand God is free within his character to do as he pleases as the sovereign ruler of his creation. So I'll give you uh, several ideas that kind of help you work that in your head. One is this, the Bible doesn't always say what I might expect it to say or want it to say, okay? The Bible doesn't always say what I might expect it to say or even what I might want it to say. I remember uh, Annie Ruth, actually I won't even go to that story yet, I'll hold that story. I'll, I'll talk about John David real quick. John David Kazai, I love that little boy, woo! Um, John David, I was over at his house and, and he was probably, I'm going with five years old. Like he, he, was, he was little. And John David wanted me to come out and play on the trampoline with him. And so we were, we were jumping on the trampoline and John David at this time, he loved acting out uh, stories in the Bible. And so I said, well, John David, what do you want to act out? And he said, I want to act out David and Goliath. And I said, oh, okay, cool. He, he said, uh, I said, who do you want me to be? He said, you be David and I'll be Goliath. And so I said, okay, so we start and I'm, you know, I'm, who are you, Goliath, to taunt the Lord? Who are you to speak down about God's people? I'm about to get my stones, okay? And so like I was, you know, just playing it up and all this kind of stuff. And he's just shooting out the exact scripture uh, in, by mouth, you know? And, uh, and, and I, get, I get my rock and I sling it to him and he just crashes to the ground. And so I'm celebrating and jumping around and I'm thinking we're done. John David pops his little head up and goes, cut my head off. <laughs> And I was like, wow, okay. Uh, you know, cut my head off. Listen, a lot of the stories, I, I, I had this this week. I taught Bible discovery for VBS. And we had uh, three, four stories from the Old Testament. And all of them, if I just read them out loud and continued the chapter, had something that was ethically challenging. Okay, Rahab lied. Uh, God's people ripped people out of the land. We had God sending people to beat up his people and take their stuff. Uh, we had David and uh, the story about Abigail. I don't know if you even remember this story, but basically she stops David from slaughtering uh, about 600 people. And, and then in the end, 
God kills her husband, and then David marries the girl. Woo, welcome to Vibes, you know, like VBS in Alberta. Okay, like, now, now I didn't tell the whole story, but that was in the chapter. Like, you read the Bible, it doesn't always say what you expect it to say. And Romans 9, I'm going to be honest with you, it, here, it, it hasn't necessarily said, God hasn't necessarily said what I wanted him to say. But it's what he says. What about this? God doesn't always do what I thought he would do. Now, I want you to think about your life for just a second. Before you start criticizing me and saying, I'm questioning God, I'm, I'm, I'm about to, pre- I'm preaching God's word to you, okay? But don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about here. See, God doesn't always do what we might expect him to do. He doesn't always even act or allow things to happen that I would think he would. I mean, I would never choose for my son to have died. Like, that's not what I would have done. And and if you've lost a spouse in the room, you wouldn't have chosen that. And you can give me the best spiritual answer you got. You can walk through and tell me how you've, you know, you know how it's good. You know, I know you know how it's good because you trust God's word, but you wouldn't have done it that way. God doesn't always do what we want him to do. He doesn't always do it the way we would have thought. Read through the Bible. What about the flood? I would have, I mean, seriously, I I look at it and I think, man, I, I wouldn't have made that decision. I mean, he kept one family safe, killed everybody else. Was he right to do so? Absolutely. I'm just saying it's hard. And if it's not to you, you are brainwashed. Like, don't miss it. It's difficult to see that scene in the book of Genesis. What about the Exodus and the firstborn? Oh, yeah, look, I get it. Beautiful picture of Jesus. It's the Passover. It's what we saw. I, I know. But would you have chosen to do it that way? Have every firstborn killed? Except for those who put the blood over? Is it right for God to have done that? Is it a beautiful picture? Absolutely, and we trust God. But I'm just saying, you wouldn't have done it that way. What about Israel and the way that God disciplined them? I love the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's looking around and he's going, I don't understand what is going on. Like all I see is evil. All I see is injustice. God, where are you? Are you here? Like, do you see these things? And God said, Habakkuk, if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't even believe it. And what was he doing? If you know the book, you understand. God was raising up a people that were even more immoral than the Israelites to come and beat them up and take their stuff. Like that's literally what was happening. God raised up a people who just acted in their own purpose. They wanted to kill and hurt and steal. God wanted to discipline. He brought it together and had the people go. The Chaldeans came and just ripped Israel up. Would I have done it that way? No, I don't think I would have. And and I know what you're thinking and you're right. Like, we don't really care what you would have done, Colby. Well, Well, good. But sometimes when we encounter God's word, and I I hope this has happened to you, you encounter God's word where you go, wow, there's some tension here. 
Like I see that God is really big. Like his thoughts are above my thoughts. His ways are above my ways. Oh man, Job. Job's just hanging out being a stellar human being. And God's just having a conversation with Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? Man, what a great guy. Look at how he serves his family. Look at how he serves me. Look at him. Satan goes, that's because he's got all that stuff. God goes, all right, take it. Just don't take his life. Job's kids die. His family is completely messed up. His house and his possessions gone and he's left with some crazy, nasty disease where he's picking sores off his body. The story continues going. His friends come in telling him what all is the deal and it's his sin and it's that and it's this. And in the end, what does God do? God says, Job, did you create lightning? Job, did you make the ostrich? Job, did, do you cause it to rain and snow? And Job says, no. No, I don't. I think I'll be quiet now. For you do as you please and it's right. And nobody can get in the way of it. That's Job. Is that what I would have done to Job? Can I tell you, there's nobody in this room, including me, that's more compassionate than God. There's nobody in this room, including me, that loves anything close to what God loves. God is love and I love only because God loves me. And he created me. But there's tension. Number three. I want you to start to feel the emotional questions that begin to build up inside our hearts. Feel the questions that build up inside your hearts. One of my favorite questions, my daughter, Annie Ruth, asked me, she was sitting on the couch one day and we're watching like a Disney Junior show, has nothing connected to this. This is how it often goes with her. She's just laying down, seeming like she's not paying attention to anything. I'm sitting on the couch reading my Bible, uh, the chair, and she, she looks up and she goes, hey dad. I said, what's up girl? Uh, why, why was Satan in the garden? And I was like, would you go back to watch your Disney show? Like, what? Are, like, wh- what? And she said, why, why was Satan in the garden? What she asked is, how was the garden perfect if Satan was there? I mean, I'm just saying. It's a pretty difficult thing. Many people for years and years and years have asked questions, big questions. Why was the tree there? Why would God create so that we could fall? Why blah, 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 blah. All of these different questions that people can ask. Those are the kind of emotional questions that we want to build up inside our hearts. If he hardens whom he wants and he gives grace to those whom he wills, then does that mean that the person down the road from me, God's hardened? Uh, does that mean that my, you know, the people on the other side of the world are never gonna receive the gospel? Does that mean this? Does that mean that? And all these questions that begin, how is it right? How is it good? How is God just? How is it? All of these questions are what's building up. And that's exactly what Paul's addressing. And if you can't address it, it means you've never thought about it. And when we think about it, he gives an awesome answer. And so to the point of our hearts and our minds and all of our feelings going wild, the emotional questions building up inside our hearts, that's where number four happens. We need to hear God speak through his word. Hear God speak through his word. 
So look at the text. The, the question, you, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But he says this, he says, but who are you, O oh man? Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Now, I, I wanna say, I, I don't believe this means you should never ask God questions. That's, that would be an odd father, okay? You can ask questions. I just wanna appeal to you, brothers and sisters, this. Go to the Lord and ask of the Lord as a son, not a skeptic. All right, one more time. Oh, go to the Lord, ask the big questions. How else will you know the true God of the Bible? Like go to him, but go to him as a son and not a skeptic. And if you think I'm being sexist, I'm not, okay? Like I'm a bride, you're a son. All right, so there, there it is. Like in the kingdom of God, that's how it works. Your firstborn son status, all right? So go to him that way. See, when, when God speaks back here, he answers, I, I would argue sternly, but with great patience. And what Paul is doing here, he's not just writing stuff. He's not just making up things. Paul is thinking back upon, because God's leading him to do this, what God's already said in the Bible. And so I want you to hold your place in Romans. I want you to flip over to the book of Isaiah chapter 29. And while we're doing that, I'm gonna glance at the, the clock real, real quick so I can know what time it is. Okay, awesome. All right. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 29. <clears throat> now here in Isaiah 29, the Lord is speaking to his people. His people who have rebelled against him. And look at what he says in verse 16. He says, you turn things upside down. And I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, we do this all the time. We flip things the wrong way. He says, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Isaiah 45, flip there real quick. Isaiah 45 9 through 12. Listen to, the, listen to God's word. He says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who has to, or says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their host. Last place in Isaiah, Isaiah 64 verse eight. This is God's word. He says, but now, this is the the people speaking now. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. Now see, what we're seeing here is as the answer is coming to us, we say, but how can these things be? Like, 
how can you do that? Like, does it make sense? Like, how can you find fault in people? He says, let me tell you, God is God and you are not, period. God is the creator, you are his creation, period. God is sovereign, you are responsible. Now experience grace. Turn over to Jeremiah 18. What a beautiful story here in God's word. Jeremiah 18, and we'll begin to close up here as we don't just hear his word, but we're also gonna see that, listen to me, that the greatest freedom in all of the world is found in the potter's hands. The greatest freedom in all the world is found in the potter's hands. Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah is led by the Lord to go to the local potter's house. It says, verse three of 18, so I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his will. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the hands, in the potter's hand. It was flawed or it was broken in the potter's hand and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. Then the, Lord, uh, then the word of the Lord came to me and said, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, And if that nation concerning which I've spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do. Verse 11 says, Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you, but return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. Seeing this, that as he is doing this, the call is if you'll turn to the Lord, he'll remake it. There was wrath for you, but he'll remake it into something that is glorious and good, that's a saving work for you. See, as I look at these words, and we'll look at them more next week, but I, I look at these words like wrath and mercy. Listen, we must realize something Uh, that, that Jesus said, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 18 is so important. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The, the Bible tells us something about wrath. It says that we're, we're born into it. Like you don't do something to receive it. It's already there. Like you have it on you. 
Ephesians chapter 2, many of you can quote it. We're, we're, it says that mankind, it says that we are children of wrath. That's how we're born. Like wrath is over our heads. And the glorious gospel of Jesus is that on the cross, we see the, the perfection of wrath and love meeting or wrath and mercy colliding. On the cross of Christ, we see that we are so bad that our sin must be crushed. But yet on the cross, we see that we're so loved that Jesus was crushed for us. See, as we look at the cross, we understand this, that the only way wrath doesn't fall upon me is because it falls upon the son. Either he drinks the cup or I drink it. And the glorious gospel is that anyone, that anyone who will receive it, anyone who will look to Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior, that he'll save them. I want you to see that the greatest freedom is found in the potter's hands. Listen, it is his hands that move and work out of love and in perfect wisdom. It's God's hands. They work and they move in love and in perfect wisdom. It's in his his hands that there's grace. In his hands is mercy. Grace to rework what was broken. I want you to think about that scene. See the big picture and then see another one. Uh, The big picture is this, is as the potter is taking what was broken and flawed, that he remakes it into something that no longer has the flaw in it. And it's beautiful and it's right and it's usable. It's a new instrument. Think of that in the big picture scene and, and that God's done a great work that for all of those in Christ that we are being made, we're being reshaped, we're being reworked into who we will finally be one day in Christ Jesus when we have no blemish, no flaw, that we are perfect in front of our Lord. That's happening in the big picture. Same thing in the earth. God's gonna rework what seems to be unfixable. He's gonna rework the earth and make it into something that's new. But for you that sits here today in Christ Jesus, I want you to think about another way that he's doing the same thing. Maybe you say, but Colby, you don't know about this thing in my life. You don't know about this brokenness in my life. You don't know about this decision that I've made. You don't know about the consequences in my family. You don't know about the hurt that I've caused. You don't know about the things that I've done. You don't know how many times I've lied. You don't know how many times I've said I was gonna follow Christ, but look at me now. You don't know all these things. And I'm telling you, look, God's sovereign and God's not shocked and God's remaking. He can take even that crack, even that flaw, even that spoiled area of your life and create it and make it into something new and good. Even God can work evil and turn it to good. There's no place that we see that like the cross of Christ. On the cross of Christ, we see evil men doing evil things and killing a man. And yet at the same time, In the background is God doing what he chose to do to bring about salvation for all who would believe. Happened at the exact same time. My friends, you you will not understand this like God understands this. But our call is this, not to be able to understand everything that God understands, but to trust him in all that he does. 
to close up. Listen, his hands, in his hands, there's power. God doesn't just promise things. God has the hands to accomplish it. In his hands, there's care. And church and somebody that sits in this place today, you don't know the Lord, listen to me. In his hands, as scary as they may seem, listen, in his hands, there's hope. There's hope. Hope that he will work out everything that he says he would do. Let's trust in this Lord today. He's bigger. He's bigger than your box. But he loves you no matter what. Believe on him today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your compassion. We thank you, Lord, that even when we're deeply challenged by your word, even when your word doesn't say what we would have written, we can be just humbled by it instead of hardened. That we can be a people who trust you and we rely on you, that we see how small we are in comparison. For we, like Peter, would have said, no, by no means can you go to the cross. But may we hear you say, that's the flesh speaking. Satan, get behind me. May we understand that our choices and what we would desire, oh, they would never produce what only you can do for us. And it's the sovereign plan for us to know and be known by you through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, may they, may they come to you today. May they know that today is the day that they ought to believe on the Son. Work in the power of your spirit for you, for in your glory, and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.